Welcome to the podcast of Life Church in Houston, Texas. We are so glad that you are joining us today. We hope that this message inspires your week, builds your faith, and ultimately brings you closer to Christ. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the podcast. And so today we're starting a brand new series, and the series name is The Names of God. And today we're going to be talking about the Lord of God, but let's talk about the name of God. Um, our, our scripture for today is found in the book of Proverbs chapter 18 and 10. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run to it and are safe. In other words, the name of the Lord is actually a place of safety. It's a place of refuge. And, and I, I don't know about you, but we need a place of refuge in the world that we're living in. We need a place that we can run to. And, and when it says the name of the Lord, it's not some magic uh, potion that we say. Uh, it it's actually represents him. The name of the Lord is actually God himself, the Lord himself. He is the strong tower. And, and when we are besieged, and I know that's an old term and, and, and a, a archaic, it's not really used much today. But when they wrote this passage of scripture, and when God moved upon uh, Solomon to write this, the, the imagery was this strong tower that people would run into when the army besieged them. And, and, and the besieging was armies would come and camp outside of the gates and they would uh, lay siege to the city until the city finally either surrendered or they grew so weak that, that the army was able to go in and conquer them and, and capture them. And and I still love that imagery because there's many times when we are in the world where we feel like we're besieged on every side by the things of this world, by our own temptations, by the culture and, and all of the things that are around us. And so when our faith is tested and when our foundation starts to shake, and I know that I've gone through that and I know some of you have gone through that and are going through it, it is amazing that we have the name of the Lord that we can run to and we can find the safety during that time of our uncertainty. Amen. Um, so the name of the Lord is a very powerful. The name of the Lord is, and, and the names that God gave us are something that we should learn. As a matter of fact, if you look at the book of Matthew, you'll find that Jesus, when he's teaching us how to pray of course the disciples received the initial lesson but it's for all of us he says in this manner therefore pray our father in heaven hallowed be your name so jesus himself is telling us that god's name is to be hallowed it's to be uh, uh, consecrated it's to be sanctified it's to, to be holy in our own life and we know that his name is set apart from my name and, you know, my name is not very important and, and, and all of the derivatives of my name, you know, James and Jim and Jimmy and Jimbo and uh, Kilroy and all the things that I've been called in my life, those are not really important. But God gave us many different ways that we could call him. And the reason that he gave us this multitude of names, and we're going to go through these names all the way up until Easter Sunday, when we're going to talk about how he is our savior. That's one of the names that he gave us. Uh, he gave us those names so that we would know about him. So when we talk today about how Jesus is Lord, when he says that he is the Lord, there is something very descriptive about that name. And it gives us the attributes of God and, and, and reveals to us 
from God himself, who he is, his, his power, his wisdom, his holiness, his justice and his mercy. And, and, and so it's important to know the names of God. Amen. So let me tell you why it's important to know the names of God. What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. That's a quote from A.W. Tozer in his book, um, the, uh, um, the Call of the Holy, I believe is the name of the book. What comes to, into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. So, so why is that? Because what we call God and what we believe about his name is going to be reflected in the way that we live. And when we really have a revelation of who God is, this is what it does. It causes us to live the life that he wants us to live. You and I both have heard of celebrities and, and people that were living lives that we knew were not pleasing to God and, and, and you know, full of uh, immorality and abuse and, and, and drugs and alcohol and all of those things. And, and we've heard them talk about how God's with them. And the reason they can say that is because in their mind, that's who they see God is. They see God as someone that really doesn't have a lot of power and really isn't holy. But when we look at the names of God and we start beginning to understand who God is, then it makes a change in our own life and how we're going to act and how we're going to live our life. But this is what I want you to hear me say. The better God is known, the more he is trusted. So we want you to know God. That's one of the parts of our strategy is we want people to know God. I felt like today, as uh, Joseph was leading worship and the team was amazing today leading. I love, I was walking through talking to people that I haven't seen. And it's like everywhere I turned, there were people that were weeping and worshiping the Lord. And, and that's when we get to know God. We're starting to see a revelation of who God is. And when we start seeing that revelation and we start really knowing who God is, we, we learn to trust him more. And the reason that we learn to trust him more is because we realize he's never let me down. Does anybody have that testimony that the Lord has never let you down? I mean, that's, that's the, the consistency of our God who does not change. And so the more I know him, the more I trust him. And, and this is the second thing. The more I trust him, the more I am going to seek him. If I don't trust him when troubles come in my life, I'm not necessarily going to be looking for him to help me. But if I really trust him, then when there are situations that arise that are uncomfortable, that are difficult, that are temptation, I know I can trust him so I will seek him. And the more I seek him, the more I realize that he's always there to be found. As a matter of fact, he never turns his back on anyone that seeks after him. If you're here today and you've never really sought God, I've got great news. If you'll seek him, you will find him because he is open to what you want to find. And he's wanting to reveal himself to you. You see, it's, it's when we have the wrong thoughts of God that really what happens is our worship becomes idolatrous because it's not, we're not worshiping God for who he is. We're worshiping God for who we want him to be. We're worshiping God for what we want him to let us get by with. 
We're worshiping God for what we want to do with our own selfish life. And that's when it becomes idolatrous. Well, I, I'm sure not idolatrous, Pastor. That's, a, that's an old word, and I'm not guilty of that. Well, I have to tell you that the very move of men carving statues, and, and the Bible talks about it, carving statues to worship is them trying to create God in an image that they want God to be. And so if I'm changing what God really is, and I'm not looking at the revelation of his word, and I'm dumbing him down or I'm making him a weak God or a God that really doesn't care about my life being consecrated to him and committed to him, then what I'm doing is moving into a place where I am idolatrous. Paul talked about it in the book of Romans chapter one. Let me read this passage, verse 21 through 23. Yes, they knew God, but they wouldn't worship him as God or even give him things. So there was the revelation of who God was to them, but they had their own way of wanting to live their life. So they wouldn't even worship him. And, and, and look what happens. They begin to think of foolish ideas of what God was like. That, that's where man's justification starts kicking in. Well, I can do this. I can do this because, you know, this is what God is like. They, they had foolish ideas of what God was like. And as a result, their minds became dark and confused, claiming to be wise. They instead become utter fools. And instead of worshiping the glorious ever living God, they worship idols made to look like mere people, like birds and animals and reptiles. So I think it's very important as we enter into this series for us to really take a look and ask the Lord to reveal all over again who he really is. I don't want my thinking to be darkened. Amen. I, I don't want to move into foolish thoughts. I, I want to know who God is and I want to know what he wants from my life. So what is the name of the Lord and how did the Lord reveal himself to the people throughout history? And this, this is how we're going to go through this series is we're going to explore what God said about himself, what God revealed about himself. And, and I know that we always are hearing people talk about who they are only to be disappointed because they don't live up to the, the things that they're saying. They don't fulfill the, the, the things that they have promised to do. But this is the thing that we can be at peace about. When God says something, the Bible tells us he cannot lie. And when he tells us something about himself, this is the revelation and the truth of who God really is. And, and God, of course, has revealed himself to be a strong tower and part of that vision for this series is that you would really know God. So let's talk about the Lord, our God. The Lord is an old name and, and, and it's a, a word and a title that, that people don't have in the world that we live in unless it's a ceremonial title. But for many, many decades and even centuries, there were lords that were in control and authority. And so the Bible is using this terminology so that we could really have an understanding of what God is saying that he is. He says that he is the Lord and that is someone that has power and authority. Amen. He is claiming here that he has power and authority and he's having power and authority over us. So, so what does God have authority over? What does the Lord have authority over? Well, Jesus said in Matthew 28 and 18, 
I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Well, I know that many times we look at this passage of scripture and we think, well, Jesus, didn't you heal the blind and raise the dead and walk on the water in in your life? And what do you mean now that you've been given all authority? And the thing that we need to understand is when Jesus says this, it's the words of the resurrected Christ. So he's talking to his disciples who have watched him die, who have watched him be tortured, and they have watched him now come back to life. He's in their midst and he says, I have all authority now. And surely if you're sitting there listening to someone that has defied death and been resurrected, you would understand he has power. But he's assuring them that his power now is all power and it is beyond question. And so if he was able to heal, cast out devils, walk on water, why is he saying all authority now? And the reason he said all authority is what we talked about in the communion. Because he has now shed his blood and has redemptive power over mankind. He can forgive and wash away sins by the blood that was shed. And so that's why now he says, I have all power. Amen. And and, and this comment that Jesus made in Matthew 28 was a fulfillment of the prophecy that Daniel gave us in Daniel 7 and 14. When Daniel said he was given authority, glory and sovereign power. All nations and people of every language worshiped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away and his kingdom that will never be destroyed. Amen. So yeah, I know that right now we have governments that are around the world. Many of those governments are conflict with each other, but never forget God is the one that is in control. And there's coming a time when he will actually return and reign and rule on this earth. And, and then, as what the Bible says, is that every knee shall bow, right? You remember that? And every tongue shall confess what? That he is Lord. I'm super happy and excited that I don't have to wait for that day. That I can declare right now, Jesus is my Lord. Amen. So he has authority over nature. He has authority over nations. I mean, we saw his authority over nature in the fact that he was able to uh, calm a a stormy sea. (laughs) The the, the story of Jesus in the boat sleeping while the disciples are absolutely fighting for their life, bailing water and wondering if they're ever going to make it. and I just love that, how he's just waiting for them to call on him. When they go and wake him up, he, he gives a command to the storm and he gives a command to the sea. He says, peace. And all of a sudden the storm dissipates. There's no more storm. There's no more wind. There's no more rain. And then he says, be still to the sea and the raging sea and the waves that they were fighting calms down. Yes, he has rule over nations and nature. He also has authority over disease and demons. He, he healed the lame, the blind, the paralyzed, the deaf, those are afflicted with leprosy. He cast out devils because he has all authority. And he now has authority over sin and death. His redemptive authority 
is at work today and I don't care what you came in with, he has the power to forgive you and to forget whatever sin you may be carrying. I just want to know at all three campuses, that's a good place to rejoice and thank God that he is a forgiver. So will somebody join with me? I am thankful that he has the authority to forgive sin. And so he, he, the, the thing about the, the power of God and the thing about his authority is when we come into, our, into the presence of God, he, he wants to touch us and he wants to bless us. But there is another, um, another step that he wants to take. And that step is that he doesn't want you to leave the same way. He wants to transform you and change you by forgiveness, by baptism, and by the infilling of his spirit. This is what he wants to ha- for you to have happen in your life. He loves you enough that he wants you to change. As a matter of fact, he loved you before you came in to repent. This is what the Bible tells us in Ephesians 2, 4 through 6, one of my favorite passages of scripture. But God, who is rich in mercy, will you say that with me? Rich in mercy, rich in mercy for his great love wherewith he loved us even when we were dead in sins hath quickened us together with Christ by grace you are saved. And this is what he's done. He's called us from the death of sin. He's quickened us by the power of Jesus Christ. And verse number six, he has raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. I have to tell you that as we were worshiping today, I felt like I had one foot in the glory. I had one foot in the presence of the mighty God. And oh, how I enjoyed worshiping. Think about what it's going to be when we get to that day where we are in his presence and there's no interruption. He made us sit together in heavenly places. In another passage, Romans 4 and 25, it says he was handed over to die because of our sins and he was raised to life to make us right with God. So there is a reconciliation that he wants to accomplish in your life to bring you back into that relationship with God. And it all happens because of the blood that was shed, the blood that Jesus shed for us when he was handed over to die. And he was handed over because of our sins. Now he walks in authority. Now there's no question. If I repent, the Bible says he is quick to forgive me, just to forgive me. He quickly says, I'll put that aside. If I have that godly repentance, and I talked about that last week, if I have that godly sorrow, then there is a change that he wants to bring into our life. And this is what we need to understand as Lord, he has authority over our life. Now, this is a big deal in the Bible because when the church started, the thing that everyone was to say is Caesar is Lord. You know what Caesar was trying to do? He was trying to make himself a God. And he was wanting people to say Caesar is Lord. But the Christians in that first century, they would not say Caesar is Lord. 
They would only say Jesus is Lord. And can I tell you, many of them were put to death because they would not proclaim Caesar as their Lord. But when Jesus is Lord of our life, we won't settle for anything else. We won't settle for somebody else being the Lord of our life. And if you look throughout history, evil men have tried to make themselves God and call on people to say that they were the Lord. Hitler did that. The troops of Hitler and and German Nazi, they had to proclaim that Hitler was Lord because those men are so possessed by their own lust and by their own desire and by the own uh, seeking for power But the one true Lord, the Lord of Lords, his name is Jesus. And he has authority. He has authority over my life. He has authority over your life. So I want you to listen to this. He's authority over nature, authority over nations, authority over disease, authority over sickness, authority over uh, our, our sins. This is what it should unleash in our life is just a flood of hope-filled prayers that if you have all authority, you're the one that I want to go to, you're the one that I want to talk to, and you are the one that is able to answer the prayers that I pray. Somebody give a hand clap of praise to the Lord today. Amen. Amen. He has authority. It should make my prayers full of hope amen not desperate prayers with no hope but hope-filled prayers that god hears me you know what else it should make it should make my testimonies powerful because i'm testifying about the one who has done great things in my life i i do believe that i'm talking to a church where god has done great things in your life i can stand here as your pastor and tell you God is great and he has done great things in my life I have a testimony of the goodness of God I have a testimony of the power of the Almighty and so in saying Jesus is Lord it's not just a cliche it's not just a throwaway sentence there is something powerful in it when we have the revelation of how he wants to be the Lord of my life. And so when I say, Jesus, you are Lord, this is what I'm doing, church. Listen to me. I'm committing myself to follow him and to obey him. Jesus himself said in the book of Luke chapter 6 and verse 46, why do you call me Lord, Lord? And do not do what I say. Why do you go through the motion of calling me Lord. And then when I'm ready for you to do this or ready to do that. You have no obedience to what I have to say to you. So if I am going to call him Lord. I'm going to call him the one that is in rule. in, In authority in my life. I'm submitting my life to him. Then the logical step, amen, I know that this is spiritual and it's about faith, but there is some logic in it that if I'm going to call him Lord, the logical thing is for me to submit to his authority and to say, Lord, whatever you want for my life, that's what I want because you know better than I know and your ways are above my ways and your thoughts are higher than mine. So listen. If Jesus is Lord, that means he owns me. 
He, he owns me. And I know that's terminology we don't like to, to, to use. But the truth is, I'm glad that he is the owner of my life. Because he is the one that is good. And he is the one that will bless me. And he is the one that will protect me. So I have no problem saying you own me, God. I belong to you completely, totally. I belong to you. And you have the right to tell me what to do. You have the right. I'm going to close by just talking about how do we respond to this authority? How how do we go through it? How, How do we really do that? Well, the first thing that we do is that we submit to his will. Did you know that God has a will for each and every person? What what does that mean, a will? He has a purpose for your life. He has a plan for your life. And, And a lot of times, the plans that we have for our own life don't measure up to the plans that God has for our life. But if we're truly gonna let him be the Lord of our life, we're going to submit to that. One of the things that we say at Life Church, and I've been saying it for years now, is the best life that I could ever live is the life that God created me to live. But I can miss that life that he's created for me if I'm not careful, if I'm cavalier about it, if I see in him something that he is not and just say, well, I can do whatever I want to do. No, I want what God wants for my life. Because if I walk in the plan of God, it is the best life that I could ever live. Now, it may not be a life of comfort. It may not be a life of riches. It may not be a life that is convenient, but it is a life that he has called me to live. Have you ever wondered how Paul, when he was thrown into the jail, could write to the church in Philippi and say, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. He wasn't belly aching. (laughs) He wasn't talking about how poor, poor, pitiful me. Look where I am. I wish somebody would come and visit me and I, I, you don't pay any attention to me. And no, no, he said, rejoice in the Lord always. He actually said, I, I've figured out how to, to, to be rejoicing in every situation that comes my way. You know why he said that? Because he was living the life that God called him to live. And while it took him to a place that he probably didn't want to be, didn't intend to be, when he was in that place, he was full of rejoicing still because he understood that God had the best for him no matter what. Amen. So if I'm going to submit to his will, if I'm going to live the life that he wants me to live, the first thing that I need to do is I need to really have that true repentance. Everybody say repentance. There is such a power in repentance, a a changing. It's actually a military word. Uh, Years ago, we were at um, Arlington Cemetery in Washington, D.C. when my son Bo was stationed in Quantico and and we went out to see the the changing of the guard. and, And one of the things that they said is they march in front of that tomb of the unknown soldier in certain places when they're changing, They'll say, repent, and those soldiers turn around. I can't do it. Uh, There's a lot of things I'm capable of doing, but it's not military walk. So some of you guys that were in the military, you could probably get up and show me what that repent is all about. But when I was watching those soldiers so gracefully, uh, pray that I don't fall, they would put one foot behind the other. They had spin around and they would be perfectly straight facing the other way. 
That's what the Lord is wanting for us. He's wanting us to have this repentance where we're walking this road that maybe have sin, things in our life that we shouldn't. And he's saying, turn away from it. Put it out of your sight. Don't even think about it. And instead, face what I have called for you to face. So in a moment here, I'm going to lead you in a prayer of repentance. The second step is that we commit to his word. His word is our life. His word is the principles that we live by. And the third thing is we proclaim his worth. Jesus is Lord and he is worthy to be the Lord of my life. I worship him as Lord. Will you stand with me and and I like for the worship team to come up at all of the campuses, the prayer teams to come up at all of the campuses. And, and this is what I would like for us to do to close out this first Sunday. As we've been talking about how Jesus is our Lord, I'd really like for us to have a church-wide, we're at one church in multiple locations. I would like for us to have a church-wide moment of repentance where we just say, we really want you to be the Lord of our life. We want you to be the Lord of our church. Well, what would it be if we were a church and we didn't submit to him and to his lordship? Well, what would we be? We would be nothing more than a group of people that got together. We'd be a club. We'd be a group of people that just walked in and had fire. And I love seeing y'all, but listen, there's one thing that has brought us together. It's the blood of Jesus Christ. That's why we're together. That, that's, that's why we love each other. That, that's why we care about each other. And, and today when I walked in, I, I saw so many people that, that I loved. And, and the love is not out of the goodness of my heart. The love is out of the goodness of God's heart. That he has called us to be part of his body. And so I want us to pray a prayer of repentance together. And if you're here, it doesn't matter what's going on in your life. If you feel that need, I want you to join me in just praying a prayer of repentance. Will you close your eyes, bow your head at all of our locations, and let's pray together. Lord, I thank you so much that you are the Lord of all, that you have all authority, oh God, and that today you have the power of redemption in your hand. If I speak a word of repentance, dear Lord, you rush to forgive me because you paid the price so that I could have that. You don't withhold it. You don't begrudge it to me. You don't tell me I don't deserve it because none of us deserve it. But when we repent, you love us so much that you wash us and remove it and forget about it and you restore us. So I just pray right now, dear Lord, whoever is in this room that needs that moment to really repent, to change their direction, that you would bring conviction to their heart, oh God, and they would feel the need and feel the desire to take that step of repentance, to change their life and never to walk that way again. I ask it in Jesus' name.